2: Okay, y'all, grab your Capri Suns or your Surge, and let's talk about some true crime. Welcome back to Killer Queens. I am Torella. I'm Tori. And this is part two of our two-part series on the Columbine shooting. So if you have not watched or listened to part one, pause this, go back, and and then we'll be here when you're ready. Or by all means, start here if you choose to. We're not in the business of telling people what to do. So yeah, exactly. We're not. We're not your real mom. We never will be. <laughs> um, but before we get to part two of this case today, we did just want to remind you. Of course, if you're looking for more killer queens, you can check out our Patreon page. We've got. Uh, we do right now. We're up to three episodes a week. So we do episode by episode coverage of docu series at our ten dollar level. We're doing Tiger King right now. We did Don't Fuck With Cats. We've done Who Killed like Little that? Gregory. <laughs> Who Killed Little Gregory? My goodness. Um, so that's where that is. Then we do the Murder Mixtape at the $7 level. And that's a weekly just like mini sewed. And then, of course, um, if you if you join even at the lowest level, you get a bonus episode a month. So there's something for everybody. But if you are looking for extra content, everybody's home right now need an extra stuff, you can definitely check out the Patreon page and we will hook you up. Perfect. Perfect. Okay. So <laughs> now we will jump back into the case. So last week we talked about the the day of the Columbine shooting and we went through minute by minute coverage of that. So now we're gonna kind of talk about We touched on the theories of the why last time, but we'll go into that in a little bit more detail, and then we will talk about the history kind of leading up to this. So, you know, let us do that now. (laughs) Um, Immediately after the shooting, theories started popping up, and like we said last time, news outlets were going ahead and giving their ideas before the Eric and Dylan's bodies had even been found. So. Obviously, they don't have any information to back this up. These are just spitballing theories. So, we talked about the trench coat Mafia. We talked about Marilyn Manson. Um, Of course, everybody was talking about how Eric and Dylan had been bullied. um, That, you know, they wanted to get back at the jocks for bullying them and all this kind of stuff. Uh, Hitler's birthday was one theory because that is April 20th, 1889. So... Did they maybe want to do this on the anniversary of Hitler's birthday? Do you call that an anniversary? That's redundant. Yeah. (laughs) Just his birthday (laughs) in general. Um, Or was it hatred for specific groups? Were they, was this kind of like a hate crime against gay people? Was it goth people? Was it racially motivated? Like they were just throwing out all kinds of stuff. Again, no information to back that up. Hitler's birthday though could have been a good theory because Eric was obsessed with German history, music, culture, the Holocaust. Um but the original plan had been for April the 19th, so that kind of makes that fall apart because for whatever reason they ended up not doing it on the 18th. Um I'm sorry, the 19th. And you can find the Holocaust. I'm not specifically obsessed but i find the holocaust very interesting and i've watched like documentary after documentary and love like boy in the striped pajamas and you know devil's arithmetic and stuff like that so um i'm just saying yeah yeah well and and it didn't line up you know with the date like if they were originally planning for the 19th then that kind of blows that right out of the water um it could have been related to, like we had mentioned last time, the Oklahoma City bombing or Waco. But again, there's no solid links to that. There's nothing anywhere where they wrote down or said, like, we're going to do this on the anniversary of these things, you know, so. um, And Marilyn Manson, I don't care. I don't care what you think about Marilyn Manson. He can't make you do anything. He's not your real mom and he never will be. No there's There's not even evidence to show that either Eric or Dylan actually listened to Marilyn Manson all that much Maybe they listened to him, but it wasn't like I'm so obsessed with him, and i don't i don't I know some of his music. I like what I know, but I don't know of any of his music that's that's is it violent, like, like in the sense of, like, if somebody wronged you, go and kill them? Like, I don't know that he's spreading any type of a message like that. Like, no, it's definitely, I mean, there's some anarchy tones to it, but it's not anything like, you know, kill everyone, blow up the school, like, you know, there's, there. I, I don't, I could not make that connection knowing what I know about Marilyn Manson now. I'm not, Listen to all of his like his entire discography or anything, but I know enough. I've seen him live twice. like I don't get that from him. He definitely bucks the system and bucks you know certain parts of like religion, society, things like that, but I don't see that being like he his his anthem has never been like, go cause mayhem or anything, you know, right. yeah, he's not the um allstate insurance guy, or which one is that? <laughs> I think it's progressive. no, no, no. Oh, I don't know now. Nationwide? Anyway, I know maybe it's yeah, know, one of the, the mayhem guy. But you guy, know, the mayhem guy. Yeah, he's not that guy. Yeah, maybe we should be blaming it on him. I think we should. And then there's the theory that Eric and Dylan did this because they were bullied. And while there were people who probably did bully him, like like in the in the documentary thing that I watched, there's... Because Eric and Dylan videotaped a lot of stuff. There's one point where they're walking through the hallways and they're videotaping, and you can see this big group of, like, jock guys coming towards them or whatever, and they just, instead of anybody moving out of the way, they just, like, ram into them kind of thing, and Brooks Brown is talking about it, and he's saying, see, this is so commonplace for them, you don't even hear them say, what was that about, or whatever, like, they just knew it was going to happen, and they just took it because it's how it, it went with them. They were bullied all the time. From everything else that I've seen, read, the book that Dave Cullen wrote that talked to a lot of people, he does not think that bullying had anything to do with it. And in fact, he says that Eric and Dylan were bullies. They picked on underclassmen. They got in trouble for damaging the locker of a freshman at one point. They were, they had plenty of good friends. They had a friend group. Like, the way that the media ended up portraying them was that they were these two loners who found each other and then said it's us against the world. And in fact, they did have a, f- a friend group, a tight-knit group of friends. Like, it was not just them. And they said that um they were fairly popular, actually. They went to football games with their friends, just like normal high school kids do. Dylan had gone to prom with friends the Friday before this happened. Eric was considered cute by many of the girls at school. Um, There's evidence that Eric and Dylan did hate specific subgroups of people. Their basement tapes made that clear. But it was said by multiple eyewitnesses on the day that they were just shooting at random. So, again, that doesn't really fit with the whole, the jocks have been making fun of us. so. I'm going to go and shoot them. They were literally shooting anybody they came yeah, into contact it was with. just at random. Yeah. The victims were not from one specific group. They were from lots of groups. Um, Isaiah Shoals was the only African-American to be shot and killed. Dave Sanders was the only teacher to die. Matthew Kector was a JV defense lineman, but he was the only student that was a quote-unquote jock. None of the victims as far as we know, we were outwardly gay, goth, like, it, identifying with any of those other groups that some of the media outlets have said would have been a target. Like, there wasn't any of that. If there was, there's no evidence to support it. The most talked about theory was Eric and Dylan's supposed membership in the trench coat Mafia, And like we said, their bodies hadn't even been found before this became the most popular reason for the murders, like, or the most uh, reported on reason. CNN would describe the Trenchcoat Mafia as a street gang. They called them gays or goths or outcasts. In actuality, Eric and Dylan were not part of the Trenchcoat Mafia. It was accidentally started by a kid named Eric Dutro. He bought a trench coat at Sam's Club one year as part of a Halloween costume. He liked it so much, he just kept wearing it, and he wore the coat to school. He got teased. He was bullied by a lot of kids, and this was just the newest thing that they teased him about because now this kid that we already make fun of for everything else is wearing a trench coat. Um, they called him all kinds of names, and so he decided, well, if you're going to call me a freak, I'm just gonna, I'm going to be the biggest freak I can be. And his friends ended up joining him in wearing the dusters or trench coats, and they started getting called the Trench Coat Mafia. One member was a guy named Chris Morris. He was also friends with Eric and Dylan. Eric actually tried to recruit Chris to be part of the attack, but he didn't join in. But Eric and Dylan didn't get their trench coats until the Trench Coat Mafia had kind of faded away. And the the group stopped wearing their coats like it was kind of like a thing of the past for them and then they got into trench coats like it wasn't even done at the same time so so there's no way that that could have maybe been yeah again it just doesn't it doesn't fit like you would it's a narrative and maybe it sounds cool or whatever in a headline interesting yeah yeah like you know sometimes you have to like get in your head like how does a journalist think and like we talked about in who killed little gregory like One of those journalists being like, wouldn't it be really cool if the mom did it? Like, wouldn't that make a better story? Like, the way that that they think, and it's all in dollar signs and ratings and whatever. So it's like, well, the trench coat mafia sounds better. So let's blame the whole thing on that. Like, Mm -hmm. again, forget how dangerous it is because parents all over the world are going to say, well, my kid doesn't wear a trench coat, so I'm safe. I don't have to talk to them about anything. Like, whatever. Exactly. Let's get into the boys' history. So Eric Harris was born on April 9, 1981, in Wichita, Kansas, to Kathy and Wayne Harris. Wayne was in the military, and he retired after 23 years as a major. He was a highly decorated Air Force pilot. Kathy had been a stay-at-home mom to her boys, Eric and his older brother, Kevin, hoping that her focusing on them would help them with the transitions they made, moving around, all those things as a military family. Though the news would eventually portray Eric and his friends as loners and outcasts, like we said, he wasn't. As a younger child, he was pretty shy, but he did have friends. He played soccer, he was in Little League, he was a fan of the Rockies before the family even moved to Colorado. So that was something he already kind of had a tie to there before he moved there. He was a bit of a perfectionist and never wanted to fail at anything. And like a lot of little boys, especially with a military father. He wanted to be in the Marines when he grew up. He loved guns. He was obsessed with computers and computer games. He was really talented with them. He played Doom specifically. I don't know that game, but I do know that game. It's very, it's like, from what I gather from it, now I've not played it, but I've seen my husband play it. You are transported into hell and you have to kill all of these like demons. Wow yeah it's a very violent and very graphic like just gross game. so it's and the music is very like heavy 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 metal yeah they they've made either reboots or whatever what's the other one that a lot of people played on the computer world of warcraft is that what it was called yes yeah that's it yeah my ex-boyfriend used to play that one a lot yes um But, yeah, he was super into Doom. He would hack into the system to create his own characters and adventures. So he was, I mean, good enough to, he knew how to run a computer, obviously. Mm -hmm. In 1993, Wayne retired and the Harris's made their final move to Colorado. Wayne became a defense contractor and he created electronic flight simulators. Kathy ended up getting a job part-time with a catering company and Eric started the seventh grade. And his older brother went to Columbine High School, so Eric enjoyed fishing trips with his dad, um but he also did like the typical teenage stuff when he got older. Um Dave Cullen's book described Eric as a cool brain. He was extremely smart and read all the classics, but he also went to parties and drank, even though he didn't like it, and he smoked cigarettes and he smoked weed. so he was like that um. He was a brainy kind of person. He was very smart, intelligent, but he wasn't like, because I feel like in high school, it's either like, either you get good grades or you're popular or either you get good grades and you go to parties. You know what I mean? Like, not that you're right. not popular, but there's like a, it's so clicky. You, you have to fit into just one group. But Eric was, I don't know that he necessarily got good grades. He was very smart, but he also went to parties, drank, you know, did all that kind of stuff. So he kind of, Transcended those some of those lines. He created his own nickname, Rebel or Reb, which also happened to be the school mascot. So wait, but haven't we always heard that you cannot give yourself a nickname? You cannot give it's yourself. It's just a, a no go. Yeah, Mm-mm. it's like Cool Ethan. He is Ooh. the one who came up with that. <laughs> like <laughs> exactly, it's super illusory to give your own self a nickname. If it happens, exactly. if other people call you that. Okay. But yeah. it's out of your hands. that's fine. But yeah, you cannot yourself give yourself the, your own nickname. That's just no it's not cool. It's not cool. And he blared hardcore German rock like, I don't know. is it Ramstein? How does the German say it? Ramstein? Romstein. Ramstein. OK. That do, do hast. <laughs> do that song? I don't know. From Ramstein. Ramstein, however you say it, Ramstein. I think it's Ramstein. I don't know. Have you heard of this before? Ramstein. Yes. Oh, I saw somebody perform it karaoke. You should never perform that karaoke. I've never heard the song or. This it's band. like a metal song. In the song, the only song that I know is I think it's called "Du Hast," and it's like "Du, Du Hast, Du Hast," and then there's another German word after it, and it's like. Just these like double bass pedal kind of like heavy guitars. Hmm. It's it's not a crowd pleaser. <laughs> Interesting. It's no Sweet Caroline. I'll just say that. Oh well, of course, yeah. You can't beat that one. Um, he thought of himself as a nonconformist, but he still played soccer and had a job at Blackjack Pizza with Dylan. He was described as unflappable, and when he ran into issues with authority, he was calm, cool, and collected, which I think is part of his um, sociopath or psychopath behavior. Like, he was always able to feel the situation out, look at what was happening, and then respond appropriately. And act accordingly. Yeah. And he could always, he could talk his way out of stuff. He told people what they wanted to hear. He's very charming, like that kind of thing. He was obsessed with German things, especially Hitler. And I don't know how to say this German philosopher's name.
1: I'm try not even going to try. I'm
2: going to spell please. it. Please. I can't okay. try it. I, d- I don't even know what sounds to make. N-E-I-T-Z-S-C-H-E. It's Nietzsche. Oh, that's... Nietzsche? That's how you say that. Okay. Yeah. I'd heard the name... But I never, I haven't seen it spelled out. This right here is why people think we're stupid. Oh, totally. <laughs> yeah. I've heard the name, but yeah, that's, I didn't, of course I didn't think that's how you spell it. I was thinking, anyway, it doesn't matter. Okay. So, um, he would high five people and say Sig Heil or Heil Hitler, like, that's not, that's not normal. No, that's, that's not normal. okay. No, it's not Okay. Toward the end of his life, people noticed that Eric was more angry, he no longer made plans for the future, he claimed to hate most people, and even had a literal shit list that he would put people on. So that's Eric. Dylan was born on September 11, 1981, to Sue and Tom Klebold. He was their second son. His older brother, Byron, was later kicked out of the family home for using drugs. Dylan was always beyond shy and seriously depressed. When he was younger, his mom said he he was like painfully shy. Um, it makes me sad that his one of his identifiers is he was always depressed. Yeah, he, he definitely had some some major depression going on that was not treated. He was 6'3 when he was 17 and he towered over Eric. But before that, he was recognized as an extremely smart kid. He started school early and was especially good in math. By the time he was in the third grade, he was in what they call the CHIPS program, which is like the, the gifted program. It uh, was challenging high intellectual potential students. He started out in Cub Scouts and also played Little League. He loved sports and was even first place in his fantasy league and working a trade all the way up until the Monday before the massacre. So still very involved with that. Um, Where Eric chose the nickname Reb, Dylan chose vodka, but the D and the K were capitalized because they were his initials. Because that's cool. Well, I mean, okay, let's just go with other people who have done something similar. Cardi B, her thing is Cardi because of Bacardi. I did not know that. Oh, well, the more you know. Yeah. I feel like, though, that's a stage name. So, like, if you're a performer and you're going to make a stage name, you know, Conway Twitty. Great. But if you're just, like, walking around and you're like, you will now refer to me as Vodka. Like, I could see maybe people calling him DK. You know, there are people call people by their initials or whatever. But Vodka. But also, he loved Vodka. Like, he drank it all the time. He especially loved Vodka. Okay. I mean, well, I guess same it's girl. Fitting. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. But he was a budding alcoholic and was considered very unreliable. And of course, like you see that too with depression. A lot of people will self medicate. So, yeah, I was going to say that's another, uncommon. yeah, that's another kind of sign. Eric's handling of authority was a polar opposite to Dylan's. Dylan flipped out. He either was like completely anxious or completely unhinged. He blew up at the slightest trigger. He could not keep that cool. Um, but he did have a plan for the future, despite his depressed state. He wanted to be a computer engineer. He was accepted to several colleges. The Monday before he would go to school and murder his classmates, his mom mailed his deposit to the University of Arizona. He was, for all intents and purposes, seemed like he was moving forward with going to college. See, that is so sad because why, I just don't understand if you have this, if you, you would think that if you were in such a state of depression that you were like, I can't go, you know, I'm going to end this on Monday. Why would you can keep up the charade of, or maybe it's just trying to be hopeful. I don't know. But that makes me especially sad. It is. It's really sad. And I also wonder too, if in the back of Dylan's mind, he thought, Maybe it won't happen. Maybe something will come up. Like, because he definitely seemed not as into it as Eric. Yeah, he wasn't as committed, right? Yeah, he didn't fire nearly as many shots. Um, I mean, certainly doesn't take away what he did. But it definitely does seem that Eric was the leader. I mean, Eric knew it was going to happen. He put all his eggs into that basket. He was not making plans for the future anymore. Dylan still had, like, a contingency plan. And I think maybe because maybe Dylan was depressed and honestly, who he wanted to kill was himself and who he hated was himself. And maybe he was hoping that somebody would intervene. Yeah. Somebody would, you know, like, I don't know. See the signs or something and try to. Yeah. 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 And um, but again, I mean, he followed Eric's lead. He didn't do he didn't do anything to stop it. There's a lot of stuff he could have done to stop it. And he didn't. So both Eric and Dylan together. So that's them separately. This could almost be like a snapped killer couples, you know, because it's like uh, Eric on his own. I think he would have done some some awful shit. But I don't know that Dylan ever would have necessarily without Eric. Um, they were both very active in school activities. They, you know, like we said, they went to events. They went to football games. They went to dances. They had variety shows there. They went to that. They worked together for the Rebel News Network, which was the school's in-house television station. They both bullied younger kids. Uh, They created websites. And like Eric, Dylan would change his favorite video games to be more to his liking. They were very um, talented in computer engineering type things. They shot videos and both acted in them. They're horrible. Like, I think a lot of kids, we did that. We made videos, you oh know. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, we did. With our cousin when we were younger. But one was called Just Got Paid. It's uh, It features the NSYNC song Just Got Paid. <laughs> and a lot of Monopoly money. A lot of a Monopoly lot. money. <laughs> a lot. Yes. And a music video, but we lost it. So, bummer. I'm Now I'm glad we lost it because that's embarrassing as shit, but. <laughs> i would like it would have been funny to watch them. yeah Yeah. um but dylan was the better actor than eric because dylan actually had emotions eric he couldn't he couldn't pretend to have any emotions because he didn't he did not know how to have them like yeah he didn't um, possess any yeah and they would recruit friends of theirs because i remember when i was watching the documentary and they show some of these these videos and they you know, they made a whole thing to be like, they had no friends. They had no friends. They had no friends. They're talking to Brooks Brown, who was supposedly one of their friends. Now, Brooks was more Dylan's friend than Eric. I think he tolerated Eric because of Dylan, but okay, they're talking to him like, well, he's a, he's a friend. I mean, and then they would say that for their videos, they would recruit friends that they went to school with to actually be in their videos. If every single kid hated them, they wouldn't have anybody else in the videos. Like, That wouldn't be possible. They would be like, no loser, I'm not gonna be in your video. So it that definitely, I feel like, spoke to more that maybe their perception, like Dave Cullen said, look, they did have friends. They had a tight group knit, like or tight-knit group of friends, but their perception was that everybody hates us. Their perception was we don't have any friends. And your perception of the situation, obviously. Is can be detrimental. Like if you just can't see that you do have people that love you and care about you, you know. Well, and that happens so often because I remember being in high school and thinking that everybody hated, not hated me, but I felt like I was very uncool and nobody wanted to talk to me and stuff like that. And Mm -hmm. then looking back on it, I'm like, that did not happen. (laughs) You know, I honestly, I still felt that way. I mean, I still view myself. When I look back at high school as totally unpopular, didn't fit in with the cool kids. Like, I feel like the kids that I talked to more were like, you know, the, um, what did they call them in Clueless? The ones on the grassy knoll, um. Oh, the slackers. The slackers, yeah. Like, I felt like I kind of hung out. Fit in better with those. Yeah, I like talked to those kind of people a little bit more. And they were, I loved everybody that we hung out with, but you have pointed out to me many times that like I was nominated for homecoming queen and I was nominated for prom queen. Like, but I, but if, when I look back at it, I think I was, I had no, I didn't have that many friends. I didn't, you know, like you, you just view yourself completely differently than, right, you know, and, and I honestly thought that when I got nominated for that, that it was a joke. And I thought, somebody was going to come out later, it was going to be a she's all that situation where I was going to find out it was a joke and people were doing it to make fun of me. Like, am I a bet? Am I a bet? <laughs> exactly. Am like, I an effing bet? That's, that's what I legit thought was going to happen. And I don't know why, because, you know, it's like people aren't. Well, it's when you're in high school, it's just that everything is so big to you and everybody is so big to you. And then you get out of high school and you're like, that wasn't that big of a deal. And, you know, this person that I thought was the most popular person in school, maybe they were, but they're not that important. You know, like, it's just not that big. Well, yeah, I mean, the your perspective shifts and you're like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, I get it. Yeah, you kind of zoom out a little bit and see the bigger picture of everything. And when you're in high school, all you can see is that tiny little you in a microscope. Yeah. (laughs) And it's just that's something that I wish that kids in high school could could see and understand. And it's hard because when you're there, it's you can't. But every little thing that happens people do remember some stuff, but most stuff people aren't going to remember. Like, you know, there's just little things that you're like, this is going to ruin me. If anybody finds out about this, you know, I'm like, nobody will talk to me ever again, all this stuff. It's everything's just so over dramatized. And you put so much emphasis on so many other people's perceptions of you and what they think and all this kind of stuff and then you get out of high school and you run into somebody that you went to high school with and they do talk to you and maybe you thought they didn't know your name and you're like oh they do remember me or they're not you know they're not living the high life you thought they were living or like whatever it is you know it's just it's not that big of a deal and it passes that four years is just such a blip and it's so hard feel that way when you're in it but you know here we are damn near 80 years old (laughs) dropping life lessons
3: this episode is brought to you by shopify do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real pos you need shopify for retail from accepting payments to managing inventory shopify pos has everything you need to sell in person
2: I know. I just had to readjust my afghan cuz I'm cold. <laughs> I'm so <laughs> cold. I'm so cold. Um every Friday the boys went to the Rock and Bowl where they also had gym class Monday through Wednesday. They were always there. So they like, you know, they had these other activities that they did. They were not they were not these kids that were not active in anything, you know, whatsoever. Because if you get active in groups and activities and stuff like that, that's going to increase your friend group too. You're going to get to know more people, forge more relationships. Like they, you have a built-in friend group. Yeah, they had relationships with people. They were on their path to that day for a long time. Eric, like we've said, was much more active in the planning than Dylan, but they were they were in it together. They talked about it together, all these things. Sophomore year of high school, Eric started to alter his appearance. He stopped wearing preppy clothes. He started wearing combat boots and, like, 90s grunge, you know, kind of typical stuff. Dylan followed right behind him, but in a less dramatic form. He didn't want to get too crazy, but he still wore some of the, the combat stuff or whatever. Sophomore year was the beginning of their missions. They These were mischievous expeditions the boys went on with their friend Zach Heckler, or His nickname was Kibbs, K-I-B-B-Z, and the B and the B are capitalized, I'm not sure why, Kibbs. Okay. Yeah. I guess nicknames were huge with their friend group, but it just seems like everybody picked their own nickname instead of each giving them a nickname, but okay. Starting in January of 97, the three boys would meet at Eric's house and then sneak out at night after his parents were in bed. Then they would go vandalize other houses, specifically houses of people that Eric didn't like. and that's what, fairly typical, right? Boys are going to get out and do stupid shit or whatever. Egg somebody's house or whatever. But Eric did not like Brooks Brown. So Brooks had been a friend of Dylan's. And like we said, mainly put up with Eric just because of Dylan. He'd known Dylan for a long time. Eric put a dent in Brooks' car and cracked the windshield during a snowball fight that got out of hand. Eric was already mad at Brooks and hadn't been speaking to him at that point. So he ended up just intentionally damaging the car out of spite. He ended up just going to town on it. Brooks told his mom and then they went to Eric's parents and Eric was furious. Brooks knew about all of Eric's late night escapades, all of his partying, like he knew about everything. So when Brooks and his mom go to talk to Eric's mom, she got upset and she cried, but his dad didn't believe a word of it. Like he wasn't having any of it. He... They got home. Wayne laid down the law with Eric, but Eric because of the way he handles stuff like that, played it cool and kind of talked his dad into thinking I'd never snuck out. I wouldn't do something to somebody's car. So he said in fact, the real problem is Brooks's mom. I think her first name is Judy, Judy Brown, I'm pretty sure. Mrs. Brown. He's like she's the real problem here, but Kathy wasn't buying that, and she wanted to talk to Mrs. Brown more, and Mrs. Brown felt like Kathy was sincere in her concern about what was going on with her son, but Wayne was not having it. He wrote in a journal that he started on February 28, 1997, that this was an overreaction to a minor incident, and Wayne believed the real troublemaker was Brooks, so Eric is telling him it's the Brown family, and Wayne is buying that hook, line, and sinker, and- He actually made a lot of journal entries dedicated to Eric's nonsense, his shenanigans he got in trouble for. Um, But Dylan started a journal, too. On March 31st, 97, he began writing about his feelings. He was depressed and angry with himself, and he let those emotions out in his journal. He wrote, My existence is shit, and he talked about how lonely he was. And... Eric's, (laughs) Eric's journal and Dylan's journal were two completely, I mean, you can just see the difference. Eric's journal is full of hate. It's just talking about just how much hatred he has for outward hatred for other people. Dylan's is inward. There's something wrong with me. I'm the problem. Like, I, he, he had a hatred for himself. They were definitely two different things. Dylan also wrote a lot about a girl that he was in love with, and he would, like, write hearts and be, like, DK+, and the police redacted her information, so I don't know what the girl's name was, but, um, he wrote a lot about this girl who he'd literally, like, never met, but, or never talked to, but he was, like, head over heels in love with her, you know. Probably wrote the whole like she doesn't even care that I exist, or you know she'd be too good for me, like all this kind of stuff, but I think that just added to it those like teenage hormones and that unrequited love, like it's a oh lot. yes, I've been there before. I used to sit and listen to Brandy's Have you ever no, and you got it bad by usher and been like, <laughs> why don't they love me? Yeah. and it's like, oh love because they've I've never i've never talked to them i've just you know it's like that jim gaffigan skit where he's like oh or sketch he's like oh there's my wife there she oh no okay she's married to that guy <laughs> oh here's my wife like yeah. that's high school <laughs> that's exactly yeah for sure um dylan took an emotional hit when their friend zach met a girl named devin and devin's in the in the documentary that i watch she talks about it but dylan felt completely betrayed he felt left behind he wrote about Zach breaking their like threesome apart in his journal and he says my best friend ever the friend who shared experimented laughed took chances with and appreciated me more than any friend ever did ever since Devons, who I wouldn't mind killing has loved him that's the only place he's been hello I finally found someone who was like me who appreciated me and shared very common interest I finally felt happiness sometimes I feel so lonely without a friend he mentions Eric in that, not at all. So, I don't know. I guess he was very, very, very zoned in on the fact that Zach had found a girlfriend and wasn't with them all the time anymore. So, she was like a Yoko. hmm Yeah, and I think she even said that I was the Yoko, I think. But, oh, wow. So, Eric had been working on his website and cataloging all the people, places, and things that he hated, which is everything. Pages and pages of stuff he hated. Over 50 entries by this point. All started with, you know what I hate, in all caps, with, like, exclamation and question marks? Here are a few. Country music with, like, 97 U's and, yeah. R-rated movies on cable. My dog can do a better damn editing job than those tards. Not my words, his. Yeah. Oh, my. The WB Network. Oh, he writes this in all caps. Oh, Jesus, Mary, Mother of God Almighty, I hate that channel with all my heart and soul. There are some interesting shows on that channel. I'll give him that. Well, he hates it. People who mispronounce across or expresso. I, it does grate on my nerves some. Not so much that you write about him in, in your diary. I, I don't think there's ever a time that I would come home and be like, I cannot handle people doing this anymore. I'm going to have to write about it. And then I would like to murder people for doing it. Like, obviously, right. there's something not right there. Brooks Brown's parents were concerned when they found out about the website. Brooks's dad called the police on August 7th, 1997. So Eric was now in the system and a deputy wrote up a report that explained that not only were the I hate lists on the site, but so was documentation of the missions the boys had been completing. So all these vandalizing expeditions they had, he cataloged those too the report was sent to his superior, but nothing was done beyond that. so so in the in an interview I saw with Dave Cullen, well, first of all, he said that one of these things, I don't remember specifically what it was, but the person that turned Eric in was Dylan. so Again, that's another sign, Dave Cullen says, that maybe Dylan didn't want this whole thing to go through. Because if Eric gets arrested or whatever, then the plan can't happen. Um mm-hmm. But he said that Brooks Brown's mom went to the police like all the time for a lot of stuff. She was always calling the police once all this kind of stuff started happening. Um, but they made the report and the deputy... From what Dave Cullen understands, is that the deputy that got assigned to the case ended up getting taken off that case and put onto a murder case. So he took the report, but then he never did the next steps with it because he got handed another case and he didn't have as much time for it. So then when he came back, because so much time had passed, he would have had to like completely redo all the investigation, re get everything. It just kind of got lost in the shuffle, sort of thing. It's unfortunate because. You know, it wasn't until after the murders happened that it came to light in the media that the police had been warned about this kid, that he was making pipe bombs, that he was vandalizing, that, you know, he he could have been in juvenile detention at that point, And maybe this wouldn't have happened. And so instead of the police being like, yeah, we had the report, we fucked up, you know, we didn't follow protocol, whatever, they doubled down and said that the report had never happened, that the Browns were lying about it. Um, and it wasn't until, like, years later that they got busted for it, and... Wrong answer, man! Yeah, and finally had to come out and be like, okay, we did have a report. This was actually filed. See, and that looks way worse than if you just would have fucking... Yeah. Okay, yeah, we goofed. Yeah, like, yeah, you're probably gonna take in a public ass beating for it, but, yeah, definitely way better than now covering up fucking evidence, and, yeah, it's not good. Um... Early in their junior year, October 2nd of 97, Eric and Dylan, along with Zach, got suspended for breaking into lockers after they hacked into the school computer system and found all the combinations. They're, they, that level of being able to do stuff with computers, like you could use that for a lot of good and they definitely were never going to use that for good. Like, not as long as Eric was involved. uh, Yeah, they each got grounded for a month. Um, but they were also upping their criminal game. Not long after his suspension, Dylan's older brother got kicked out of the house for drugs. In January of 98, things got worse. Um, Dylan got into trouble for messing with lockers again. He was caught scratching obscenities into the locker of a freshman. He was suspended again in order to pay for the repairs, which was 70 bucks. On January 30th, 98, Dylan and Eric got into the most trouble yet. They had gone out a little Friday night vandalism, as one does. There was a van just sitting there with all kinds of electronic equipment, so they decided they're just going to take it. Eric was the guard, and Dylan was the one that actually broke into the van. Dylan seemed to not understand how strong car windows are, and he thought he could just, like, punch it out. or Like you would punch the highlights out of someone's hair? Yeah, or like roundhouse kick, like McElroy. He could just roundhouse kick it open. Um, did he uh, give an ocular pat down first, maybe? I don't think he did because he repeatedly was beating it with his fist, but he didn't understand why he couldn't break it. So ocular pat down, negative. Did not do that. So then he tries a rock. Not enough. Then he tried a boulder. After a few tries, the boulder did the trick and Dylan went about grabbing anything he could while Eric ran to the getaway car. Once they had gotten all the items loaded that they could hold, Dylan jumps in the car too. So Eric drove them to a parking lot um, or to a park that had closed for the night so they could investigate what they had hauled and the car's interior light was on. So they're looking through hundreds of dollars worth of stolen electronics, but they did not realize that a deputy had seen the car that was there with an interior light on and goes to check because he's like, what the fuck is somebody doing parked here at this park? They shouldn't be here. He'd seen Eric and Dylan going through the stolen goods, and he'd heard them talking. So Eric tried to lie his way to get out of the trouble. He was telling the officers they just, they found it in the parking lot. It fell out of your hair this way. (laughs) But, But where he told them that they found it in the parking lot. It wasn't in the van when they found it. But he said it was the same parking lot that the van had gotten broken into. And they're like, we already know about the break-in, dude. Like, there's no way you found it in the parking lot.
1: Whatever.
3: Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts.
1: Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.
2: So Dylan sold them out. Um, he confessed and they were taken into the police station and interviewed in separate rooms. Eric threw Dylan right under the bus saying it was Dylan's idea and that he had voted against it, but he couldn't stop him and like, whatever um they were threatened with felony charges and fines up to a hundred thousand dollars and that would have also come with a three-year prison sentence they were arrested and books but booked but they were later released to their parents custody so wayne harris decided to take action and get eric help he was going to get him in to see a psychologist and get him help for his anger and mental health so finally he's seeing you know brooks wasn't a part of that situation so brooks is the Mm -hmm. whole problem like where was he um Wayne wrote in his journal that he needed to look into a therapist and a school counselor. He got Eric into a therapist named Dr. Kevin Albert on February 16th, 1998, and he was prescribed Zoloft. On March 18th, 1998, Dylan reached out to Brooks Brown via old school note passing. A physical piece of paper. (laughs) I still remember how to fold said notes, so. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. He wrote the web address to Eric's website and told Brooks to lock it up. Brooks did. I'm sorry, look it up. And Brooks did. Eric was threatening to kill Brooks on the site. So this is where Dylan reported Eric. So Eric had ratcheted up his I hate list on his website. And so now he's saying he's going to kill Brooks. So Dylan told Brooks about it so that he would know that the threat was there. So Brooks tells his parents, his parents call the police. The police wrote a report. The next day, March 19th, Dylan and Eric were admitted into a juvenile diversion program where they would spend a year working with counselors, doing community service, and paying fines and stuff. Then, if they stayed out of trouble for another year after that, they would start over with clean slates, their records would be expunged, and it would be like none of it ever happened. During the intake interviews, Dylan and Eric were provided with an eight-page questionnaire, and this is information. So they had like check boxes they had to like tick off or whatever. And the the Klebolds, if I'm even saying that right, um, th- they did not know or they were not aware of Dylan's severe depression. And Dave Collins said a lot of kids don't talk to their parents about that kind of thing because they feel like it's gonna worry their parents or that they're failing their parents. They don't want their parents to feel bad that I'm depressed, I'm suicidal. You know, I don't want my parents to feel like it's their fault and like all this kind of stuff. But with this questionnaire, like they said that a lot of times or Dave Cullen said a lot of times it's better to kind of do this like standardized things because a lot of kids will just be honest about it. They'll just tick the boxes because it's I don't know why. Maybe it doesn't feel as personal. But. Eric checked. 14 of the 30 boxes to determine, like, problems or issues they might have. And Eric's parents had the same options on their questionnaire. So Eric's parents checked three of them, and Eric checked 14 of them. So obviously there's a differing idea of what's going on here. Some of them were jealousy, anxiety, suspiciousness, authority figures, temper, racing thoughts, obsessive thoughts, mood swings, disorganized thoughts, homicidal thoughts. On March twenty-fifth, the boys went to court and got sentenced. The judge was so impressed by their dads being so active in their lives and the fact that they've been proactive into by getting them into the diversion program. Meanwhile, the Brown family is continuing call, continually calling the police about Eric and eventually got investigator Mike Guerra to look into it. So this is the guy who ended up getting um Assigned to a murder case. Guerra wrote up an affidavit for a search warrant on March 31st. It was thorough. It outlined Eric's wrongdoings. It's, It was filed. Eric was, of course, outwardly calm and compliant. He, you know, this is not a problem. You're not going to find anything, whatever. But inside, he was a ball of rage and narcissism. He officially started the diversion program on April the 8th, 1998, Meaning that now he was not only having to talk to his therapist, he was meeting with the program's counselor two times a month on top of having to complete community service hours, attend Mothers Against Drunk Driving classes, provide restitutions, working to pay the fines, and writing an apology letter. Not to mention he had to keep up good grades and a job, and he was getting drug tested. He was absolutely pissed off. So he wrote about it in his journal, and his journal was titled The Book of God. Is he God? Yeah. On April 10th, 1998, he wrote a two-page entry about his hatred of the world and the disrespect he received. He wrote, I feel like God. I am higher than almost anyone in the fucking world in terms of universal intelligence. Ever wonder why we go to school? It's not too obvious to most of you stupid fucks. He spelled too wrong. It should be T-O-O. It's not too obvious to most of you stupid fucks, but for those who think a little more and deeper, you should realize it is society's way of turning, he also spelled society is wrong in that case, of turning all of the young people into good little robots. Eric and Dylan basically thought of like regular people as robots or zombies or like, you know, ants Jeep just or following something. the, yeah. Um, they were better and we shouldn't exist in their world. We didn't deserve to be in their world. At the end of junior year, when all the other robots were signing Hags and Lilas in their friends' yearbooks, Eric and Dylan were writing about their mass murder plans in each other's yearbooks. So, Hags is have a good summer. And Lilas, as we all know, is I'll be like a sister. And um, maybe signing each other's cracks, yeah, things like that. I was the first to sign your crack. um, <laughs> Yeah, while people are doing that, they're like, hey, man, can't wait to plan to murder everybody this summer. Like, I guess... I don't know. Our parents never looked at our yearbook signing stuff, but geez. Dylan wrote in Eric's yearbook, We, the gods, will have so much fun with NBK. Do you know what NBK is? I don't either. My wrath for January's incident will be godlike, not to mention our revenge in the commons. Oh, NBK is in reference to Natural Born Killers, the movie. They refer to their spree as NBK often. Okay. Okay. Eric wrote in Dylan's yearbook, January 31st Sucks, S-U-X, and I Hate White Vans. Then they proceeded to draw pictures in each other's yearbooks, swastikas, mountains of dead bodies, just regular stuff. Their, Their arrest in January was not the sole reason for the shootings, but it had triggered them to put their money where their mouths were, so to speak. They were done with the robots, the zombies, bullshit. It was time to seek revenge. And Dylan was kind of the tag along in eric's psychopathic spiral i mean eric was obviously out of control by this point he was the one who paid for the supplies he built the bombs he procured the weapons he drew the plant he did all of that eric was also doing whatever it took to convince all the adults around him that he was making all the necessary changes in his life to be a productive member of society that's terrifying He's actively planning a mass murder and he's getting therapists, counselors. Um he's going to all these things. He's you know being tested and all these and he's he's that's like Ed Kemper like making them believe he's answering the questions the way he knows they're supposed to be answered. Like mm-hmm. that's terrifying. Eric was getting fantastic grades. Dylan was failing. He was not doing well. Eric was working hard at Blackjack and even got a second job at Tortilla Wraps. Dylan quit his job at Blackjack and didn't get another one for the summer. Eric was convincing the diversion program that he was exactly what they and his parents wanted him to be. He told the counselor there what she wanted to hear, and then she wrote her last entry on him. He was a very easy man. Eric also told his therapist that the Zoloft he'd been prescribed back in February was making him restless and he was having a hard time concentrating. So his doctor switched him to Lubbock's on May 14th, 98. And a theory in Dave Cullen's book is that maybe Eric didn't like the Zoloff because it was actually working, like, too well. He, he didn't want it to work. Um, but senior year was time to get serious. So on October 22nd, 98, Eric started making all the bombs they were going to need for the attack, um, which is six months, pretty much planning because then it happened on may or i'm sorry april 20th Uh, um he documented every bomb all the details about each he named them um everything about them dylan was not planning to be alive by the time the attack was supposed to occur he was seriously considering suicide by then like i said he was in love with the girl that didn't know he existed and he just thought it would be better for humanity if he just died he shouldn't be here Eric's journal was filled with plans for the massacre. Dylan's was full of unrequited love and suicide. Eric and Dylan were also letting out their thoughts in papers for school and videos in their video production class. Eric was thriving on the fact that he was basically telling everyone he was going to kill them all, but they just thought it was creative. You know, he's just doing this for a class. It's not real. He wrote a paper about Nazis and another called, Is Murder or Breaking the Law Ever Justified? And, of course, he thought so in certain situations. On November 17th, 1998, Eric wrote about his fantasies in his journal. He wrote entries about things he wanted to do to girls. He wanted to lure a woman somewhere, rape them, and then he wrote, I want to tear a throat out with my own teeth like a pop can. I want to grab some weak little freshmen and just tear them apart like a fucking wolf, strangle them, squish their head, rip off their jaw, break their arms in half, show them who is God. Oh, my God. This is why I will be reading everything that my kids ever write down. Like, oh, is that a homework paper? Let me see it. Or are yeah, you exactly. Writing shit? Like, I don't, that's so scary. In his planning for the attack, Eric decided that the bombs weren't good enough. He needed guns. He and Dylan went to the Tanner Gun Show on November 21st, 98, but they returned away because they were underage. So Eric just found an 18-year-old friend who would buy them guns. So this is Robin Anderson. Eric knew that she was not only 18, but was also infatuated with Dylan. She'd do anything for Dylan. So, again, this is, I mean, straight psychopath, sociopath, like, just looking for a means to an end, looking at what other people can do to serve them. For you. Yeah, and their needs. So, the next day, she went to the gun show, and she bought two shotguns for Eric and Dylan. The boys then proceeded to saw up the barrels way past the legal limit and on December 2nd, they shot those guns for the first time, and they realized the recoil was a bitch. Since they had sawed off the barrel, the recoil was even more powerful, and they had to get in a good deal of practice to be able to fire the guns without getting totally beaten up. On January the 20th, 99, they were done, the requirements for that diversion program were met. So Eric was recommended for early release because he had done so well. I mean, this is his evil mind. Despite not doing as well as Eric, basically not well at all, Dylan just got released at the same time. Dylan continued to struggle almost completely unnoticed. He wrote a horrific story for his creative writing class that was basically their plan for April 20th. His teacher was very concerned. She'd read a lot of wild stories from kids over the years and understood that boys would tend to veer about writing toward like writing about um, war or violence or something like that, but she was like, this is not that. This is, this is more. So she contacted the school counselor and Dylan's parents, and they all kind of brushed it off. On January 23rd, 1999, Eric and Dylan bought a Tech 9 rifle from their friends Mark Maynes and Phil Duran, as well as Mark's girlfriend, Jessica. They took bowling pins they'd stolen from the bowling alley and went out to practice with their sawed-off shotguns and the new rifle. Eric named his rifle Arlene after a character in the book, Doom. And during their first shots in the basement tapes, he keeps Arlene across his lap. They began filming on March 15th, 1999, with Arlene in his lap and a bottle of Jack Daniels passing between them. Eric and Dylan made lots of derogatory comments about different minority groups, also women. Eric said, yes, mom, stay home. Fucking make me dinner, bitch. Okay, I just, if my, if I ever caught my child saying something like that. Be like, how about you make me dinner today? (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) that's the last time I ever make your ungrateful ass dinner. (laughs) Like, feed yourself. They named a bunch of people they wanted to kill, but not one of the people that they named were actually killed on April the 20th. It was mostly like girls that had shunned them, other students that had wronged them in their opinion. Some of the other quotes from the basement tapes are uh, Dylan saying, I've narrowed it down. It's humans I hate. Eric saying, you will all die and it will be fucking soon. You all need to die. We need to die too. Eric, we're going to kickstart a revolution. I declared war on the human race and a war is what it is. Eric, I'm really sorry about this, but war's war. They also made sure to comment on the fact that their parents were going to get the brunt of the blame after, which kind of sucks because... Like, you know that your parents are going to take the fall for something pretty much because you're not going to be around to take it. But I don't know. They wanted to make sure people knew that their parents had done all they could and it wasn't their fault. I mean, in Eric's case, it's like he went through the they both did. They went through the program like all of the powers that be saw it fit to release them. Like, I mean, as a parent, you're going to think, okay. Well, and with Eric being as good as he was to slip into whatever he needed to be, to convince everybody. Like what were they supposed to do? Yeah. Yeah. In April, Eric started talking to a Marine recruiter, which again from the outside looks like I'm making plans to go into the Marines. I'm doing what I can to get into this. But he started doing that because he was having trouble getting his napalm to work and thought he could get some information from the recruiter. Like, <laughs> "Okay, well, let's talk about that. And then while while I've got you here, I have a question about napalm." Right? But he also thought that maybe he could use it to look like he was making plans and Again, that his parents would be like, okay, everything's going really well. April 17th was prom. Dylan went with Robin Anderson, the girl that was obsessed with him, and some other friends. They did all the stereotypical things, the limo, the dinner, all that kind of stuff. They both went to after-prom activities and didn't get home till early the next morning. Of all all of the almost 2,000 students, came back to school Monday safe and sound despite the tendency to drink and drive on prom night, and principal Frank DeAngelis, had been really worried about it, and he even talked about it in his speech at the pep rally that Friday. Like, he went into this whole thing about how he loved each and every one of the students, and he genuinely did, and, like, that he was afraid he was going to lose one of them, and, you know, all this stuff. Of course, not knowing what was coming up, but he was worried about losing somebody to drinking and driving. And the plan was originally for that Monday, April the 19th, 1999. They had planned for Judgment Day to play out in three acts and they wanted to make sure they had the largest body count they could. So even though they planned it for April 19th, Eric was greedy. He had about 700 rounds for the four guns they had. He wanted more ammunition and Mark Maines was supposed to be getting it for him. Eric had turned 18 on April 9th, but he didn't realize that meant he could buy his own ammo, I guess. So he was waiting on this other guy to get it for him. So Mark finally he wasn't as smart as he thought he was. Uh, exactly. So Mark gets him the ammo on April the 19th for 25 boxes for two boxes at Kmart. I'm sorry, for $25 for two boxes at Kmart. He met up with Eric and handed off the bullets. And Eric told Mark, he's like, well, I might go shooting tomorrow. So Eric and Dylan had planned for this day and they knew going in they wouldn't live to April 21st. Their attack would become the deadliest school shooting in American history to that point. And unfortunately, that title has been taken multiple times since then. It's, it's no longer that. On December fourteenth, twenty 2012, 26 people died in the shooting at Sandy Hook Elementary School. And before that, on April sixteenth, two thousand 2007, 32 people were killed at Virginia Tech. And that one is currently listed as the most deadly. So yeah, I I had, obviously everybody knows about this case. It's kind of one of those heavy hitters, I guess, but I did not, um, I, I had always just heard that stereotypical, they were bullied, they killed people for bullying them. And I didn't know all of this background and things like that. And so, I mean, I know we've said it before, but knowing the full and true story. Again, I don't want I don't want them to get any any more famous or glorify them in any way shape or form, but I think that this case does point out that there are signs that we need to be looking for. It's really hard with a psychopath because you can't I mean they're they're very good at playing the part. That's going to be really really difficult. Um but with Dylan and what happened with him, had his depression been recognized and treated, we might be in a really different situation. Maybe Eric wouldn't have have done what he did beca- if he didn't have help. And, you know, I, I don't know. You can't do a lot of what ifs. But moving forward arming parents with maybe some things to look out for for severe depression in your teen. And and teenage emotions are so up and down, right? You don't know. It's hard to tell what's what. But their moods are swinging on swing sets almost every day. Almost every day. So, it's really hard to tell. But I think that if, if parents are equipped with maybe some things, or maybe if they make it, like Dave Cullen said that some you know some schools are doing questionnaires like that. Not all of them, it's hit or miss. Maybe if we did some questionnaire kind of thing like now with postpartum depression when you go for your checkup and you bring your kid to their pediatrician appointments for at least the first year, they make you fill out a questionnaire. That's great. To yeah, figure out where you are with things. And mm-hmm. cuz sometimes you don't know that you're depressed. You don't know that that's what it is. Like and then you start answering questions and you're like maybe i i didn't realize that you know like i didn't know that's what it was i didn't have a name for it but um i just i do think it's important to really look at the the root cause because school shootings are not um not that uncommon and they should be it is yeah it's so unfortunate and i think you're exactly right i mean i think it's this is a case that it affected our age group, maybe a little bit, well, a little bit older, our age group, because it was, for me, the big, the first thing that i would ever seen like this. I'd never, ever mm-hmm. heard of a school shooting before, mm-hmm. um, maybe even a mass shooting, really, right. you yeah. know. So it really affected me. And, you know, you you think about then it rocks your entire world, because at that point in your life, your entire world is going to school, your friends, all this stuff. And then you think about, well, what if the ha- what if this happened here? Mm-hmm. And it's changed everything for like, you cannot wear trench coats to school anymore. You cannot, you know, like they've cracked down on dress codes, they cracked down on all kinds of things at mm-hmm. schools, which I think is great. But I also think that there are there are other things that we need to look at other than that kind of thing. Right. Yeah, because you're you're perpetuating by doing that kind of stuff, you're perpetuating that false sense of security by, okay, well, I don't have any kids in my school that wear trench coats. I don't have any kids in my school that can have unnatural colors of hair, like purple. So I feel safe now when that's not the root cause. Shots fired. Uh, I got gotcha. you. Although at Riverdale we were progressive because we did have people with colored hair, but like I remember at Eagleville, I you know. could not, you could not have an unnatural color of hair. Yeah, at Riverdale it was definitely like you know there was a kid that he was very creative and kind of did his own thing and marched to the beat of his own drum, and he had a mohawk. The mohawk was. A lot of times black, I think, but then the sides were bleached and then he had leopard print or and it was like hot pink leopard yeah, print or something, you know? Yeah, he changed up a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's just that, again, that's not the cause, like a kid expressing themselves creatively by the way they dress or by the way they do their hair or makeup or whatever is absolutely not synonymous with a fucking mass murderer like <laughs> it's Mm-mm. well and eric goes to show that i mean he sure he did kind of change the way he dressed in high school but he still he could act the part no problems yeah absolutely he could yeah so you know that's we miss the mark if we put focus on just physical attributes that have nothing to do with anything yes absolutely yeah so that's the case um you know again if you want more of the killer queens more episodes you can check us out on patreon and we do have some quick shout outs for our patreon subscribers our newest ones and then we'll we'll get out your hair so are you ready Perfect. Yes, I'm ready. Okay, so I will go first. Okay. Uh thank you to Flavia. Thank you to Tracy L D Pfeiffer. Elizabeth Scheip Brandy Amber. Jennifer Caden Day Savannah. Andrea Bonet Larissa Montiero Sammy. Okay, (laughs) sorry, Renee, Renee, (laughs) Renee. Uh, Carrie Ridge, Carrie Ann Clemens, Kylie Morse, Mandy, Ashley E Gale, Jenna Blakesley, Christina Branson, Madison, Megan McKenzie, Isle Bay, Bay. I don't know how. I'm so sorry. A I L B H E. Yeah, sorry. I'm so sorry. Savannah Godwin, Melinda Garofalo, James, I'm gonna say Z. (laughs) Rochelle Ridge, Faye, Dakota Nowicki, Stephanie Sepulveda, Aileen Casey, Mindy Hartzo, Emily Kalina, Lindsay Martin, Laura Turner, Ruby Evans, N. Lifer, Ashley Hawthorne, Julie Schneider, Stephanie Sherwood, Anna Niamella, Brooke Elizabeth Thorpe, Ravenel Kashram, Haley McLeod, Emma Draper, Kate Chisholm, Rose Fields, and Angela Lees. Thank you so much for being a part of our Patreon and thanks for being a friend. Yes, we love you. Lilas, bye. Bye. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this case. Connect with us on Instagram or Facebook to continue the conversation. Thanks for listening, and we will meet you back here next week. Bye. The theme song for the show is created and composed by Stephen Toby. You can find more of Stephen's work on SoundCloud. Our logo was created by Sloan Williams of Sophisticated Crayon. You can find more of her work on Etsy. Visit us at KillerQueensPodcast.com for merch and other info about the show.